0: Hungover? Did I seem hungover?
1: No, you both seemed jet lagged. We were.
0: How could you say that to me? No, because you, you know said it in the show. Feel. You said in the show. You said that. Why did you say that?
1: No, you, oh, you said <laughs> it in the show. <laughs> <laughs> you said, "Don't worry, you're not depressed. You're just jet Right.
0: I said sometimes it's confusing because you think one is the other. Da, da, da. Right? Now
1: it has begun. Yeah, it's gotta dance. The gotta end dance. has finally come. Fire dance is
0: everywhere.
2: There goes the
1: vacation.
0: Can I wanted Get to ask this? At time at, uh,
1: I wanted to ask this at um, rehearsal. Rehearsal. The now it has begun.
0: Now it has begun. Don't ask what. What? Don't ask that. Okay. Are you going to say what has begun?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's in <laughs> reference to a few things
0: oh like what why and don't you tell what us things
1: well i mean i thought maybe and i'm on the spot now but <laughs> like it's happening now like uh, there's fires everywhere <laughs> indonesia earthquakes everything it's going on right Let now me ask the author there's yes that's it that's, that's what
0: it. now means killian yes that is the that's meaning it. of now
2: now it has begun <laughs> the end has finally come <laughs> fires everywhere I've lost my vacation. <coughs> no. We have to has run has out of Times Square. Like like they, uh, they all the the sp- like they do in all the end has Like they do in all the Spider-Man movies, like they do in all the Fires You know, all the Superman movies, You're running out of Times Square because Rain the buildings are falling down. Right. The neon's exploding. People are screaming.
1: Well, I had a stuck in my head for about two days. So That's a you.
2: very good sign.
0: It's got a little hook there.
2: Now it has begun. Get out of Times Square go home go go right home at once turn off your ac find water for your tree that's really sad a sad moment with the tree
0: tourists we are tourists we are everywhere tourists against against donald trump
3: Trump.
1: will we start the show all right let's 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 do do it it. i'm ready that was a good (laughs) warm-up
2: children the earth wants you yes the earth wants you your hour-long humor and music at the end of the world we got it here a production of the stop shopping church I'm here with co-host Savatry D
0: good morning Rev good morning Killian good
2: morning Killian our engineer producer figure if you have any questions about Ireland, and I'm Reverend Billy. And today's theme is fire. 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 Is everywhere. There are scores, maybe hundreds of fires just bursting out of the side of the earth, mm. all over the earth. Mm. Lots of, lots of tragic loss of life, loss of homes, mm. and we have come, the feeling I'm getting from people uh, just talking to people, friends, strangers on the street, we just have lots of folks who are, are, who are saying now it has begun, climate change is something we always put in the future, you don't believe in it, you don't think it's going to happen, it was a th- it's something we kind of put into the future tense, mm. no, not, not now. Fire and flood. We don't have to wait for a superstorm. It's happening every day. Mm-hmm. And so remarkable that there's not a lot of talk about it in public that doesn't come straight from the tragedy itself. Well, if if the if the tragedy happens, then suddenly you've got somebody with a microphone looking into a camera in front of it saying, Well, you know, we have three missing people here in Tuscaloosa. But uh don't you think there should be an Oprah for the earth right now? That,
4: well, what be? I'm
0: struck by is how fatalistic people already are. People who never actually went through the process of trying to change or work on it or, you know, alter their relationship to the earth went immediately from not really thinking about climate change to saying it's too late. And
2: they skipped a couple as steps. As far as so I
0: know, there were a couple of decades in there. I mean, there were for me. <laughs> where there was uh, work to be done and things to do. You know, the New York Times had a recent Times magazine that was devoted entirely to the the problem of climate change. And I don't know if many of you read it, but it's fatalistic. It basically says it's too late. Um,
2: the Times could have done more, by the way.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. You know, the, the major
2: newspaper that that really tried, I think, is The Guardian yeah, coming out of England. I agree.
0: Uh, and of course, individuals in every institution have tried and will continue to try, just as we will. Uh, but it's going to take more than individuals, obviously. Doctor
2: you know. Hansen tells us now that I
0: think the problem is chauvinism, right? I, again, I just go back to human chauvinism over and over, and, and our inability to see the picture except with ourselves in the very center mm, of it. Mm. And I, it, it's so frustrating. You know, it, you read these articles about climate change, and they're just about how to save humans. And I think, well gosh, guys, you know, even if we can't save humans at this point, there's a lot of other life to save.
2: The project of the modern city is to get away from nature. The idea of safety, the idea of power, the idea of good looks, the idea of wealth, all of that relates to getting out you don't want to be a country guy. You don't want to be a room. You know what? You don't that want to have, have, have dirt been on true. your fingernails.
0: That may have been true at one time, but now cities are the way to save the earth. Living together and close together is much better for the earth. If, if all the people moved off the land and lived in towns and cities, we'd be a lot better off, because as soon as humans leave the land, it starts to heal.
2: Well, now you're reciting a theory that I hope is adopted, but it's a little bit of it's rosy thinking. It's futuristic Radical thinking. And that's, that's good. That's what you are. That's what I am. Amen. That's what yeah, we nobody are. Nobody
0: ever called me an optimist, but they called me other names.
2: Well, now that we're really ready, now that we've set our mood, people, <laughs> you know what time it is. <laughs> Let's go straight to the real deal. Cheer it's up. It's the news from the natural world. Savitri D. Take it away.
0: Hello, friends. I'm Savitri D. Welcome to News from the Natural World. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported a tripling of the number of diseases caused by mosquitoes, tick, and flea bites. From 27,000 cases in 2004 to 96,000 cases in 2016, cases of tick-related illnesses doubled in this period, accounting for 77% of all vector-borne diseases. Uh, CDC officials, not mentioning the word climate change, attributed this spike partly to rising temperatures. Of all infectious diseases, those caused by bites from ticks, mosquitoes, and other cold-blooded insects are most climate-sensitive, scientists say. Even slight shifts in temperatures can alter their distribution patterns. The Trump administration has rescinded an Obama-era ban on the use of pesticides linked to declining bee populations and the cultivation of genetically modified crops in dozens of national wildlife refuges. Um, Refuges. That word sounds odd to me. Suddenly,
2: it sounds odd. Refuge.
0: Refuge. (laughs) Yeah, I just... Interesting, where farming is permitted. Ebola is suspected to have caused as many as 33 deaths during the latest outbreak of the virus in the Democratic Republic of Congo. 13 cases of the Ebola virus were confirmed across northeastern North Kivu province and neighboring Ituri province, with another 30 probable cases registered. Almost 900 contacts, meaning people who have come into contact with an infected person, have been registered by the health ministry there in the DRC. California's CAR fire may have unleashed the most intense fire tornado ever observed in the U.S. The CAR fire unleashed a fiery vortex with winds of at least 143 miles per hour. The fire nados? That's right. Mm. The equivalent of an EF3 tornado. That's a big tornado, people. Plastics, ranging from construction materials to plastic bags, release the greenhouse gases methane and ethylene after being exposed to sunlight and beginning to degrade. Our results, scientists say, show that plastics represent a heretofore unrecognized source of climate-relevant trace gases that are expected to increase as more plastic is produced and accumulated in the environment. Great. Uh... (laughs) Ovartis, Sanofi, and other drug companies are preparing for Brexit by stockpiling their medicines. Sanofi, the world's lead supplier of insulin, will soon have a 14-week supply of its drugs stored in the UK. Sanofi is confident that its contingency plans will ensure that people in the UK can access the treatments they need after the UK leaves the EU interesting to think about that. Drug makers are preparing for what's called a no-deal Brexit, where the UK will no longer be subject to EU law, but will not have finalized future trade deals with European countries, meaning there may be delays or barriers to cross-border transactions for drugs and other goods. Never thought about that, did you? Drugs. According to Reuters, over 2,600 drugs go through at least one manufacturing stage in England, and each month, 45 million patients pack 45 million patient packs moved from the U.K. to other European countries. So this is a lot of medicine that's tied up in Brexit. I never thought about that.
2: And people have doses and they have, they have schedules.
0: German police have warned people living in the states of Saxony, Anhalt, and Saxony that low water levels in the Elbe River are uncovering deadly treasures in multiple locations. 22 grenades, mines, or other types of explosives have been found this year. Grit Merker, a spokeswoman for Saxony-Anhalt Police, said the authorities ascribe that to low water levels. That's pretty clear. The most destructive war in human history, the remnants of battle still litter the country. From the air alone, British and American air forces dropped 2.7 million tons of bombs on Germany between 1940 and 1945. uh, And that is before ground combat is taken into account. It is estimated there are around 100,000 unexploded bombs buried around Germany, each with deadly potential, and of course the current drought is uncovering many of them in those riverbeds. A combination of wildfires raging north of San Francisco, which already has consumed an area almost as big as Los Angeles, is now the biggest fire in California history, the Mendocino Complex Fire. Just 30% contained, Uh, expected to be contained in the next couple of weeks or a month. Plastic bag sales have plummeted by 86% in England's big seven supermarkets since the introduction of the 5P plastic bag charge in 2015. 86% reduction, guys. It works. New government data shows that consumers in those stores bought nearly a quarter fewer plastic bags last year. A dip of around 300 million bags This is equivalent to just 19 bags per person in England, compared to 140 bags since the government introduced a 5P charge.
5: Mm. Okay,
0: all those numbers, let me just tell you what they add up to. A reduction of 86%. That means uh, hundreds of millions of bags not out there in the ocean, in the the trees, in the bellies of birds and whales. This year, porters working on Mount Everest, you've heard of it, the tallest mountain in the world, schlepped 28,000 pounds of human waste Human waste. I don't mean they're trash people. I mean they're body trash, okay. Human waste down to a nearby dumping site. So that's terrible. Uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> takes the romance out of the mountain. World's pond.
0: insect humans, just get out. Get stop yes. going to those places. Humans, le- stop le- it. Stop leave, it. Leave the earth alone. World's insectivorous birds <laughs> eat four hundred to five hundred million metric tons. 500 million metric tons of beetles flies ants moths aphids grasshoppers crickets and other arthropods per year according to a review of 103 previous studies The global population of insectivorous birds annually consumes as much energy as a megacity the size of New York. They get this energy by capturing billions of potentially harmful herbivorous insects and other arthropods. You see how this is the chauvinism I'm describing to you. At the end, they turn this into something about human needs. So the problem with the insects and why we want the birds to eat them is because they eat our crops if the birds don't eat them. That's not, it's not about us. Get out of there, Also, the
2: example of how much energy they are is New York.
0: Let's start (laughs) noticing our human chauvinism. The European heat wave of 2003 is estimated to have killed at least 30,000 people. Some figures put the total as high as 70,000. Of the 15,000 who died in France, 1,300 were under the age of 64. Now listen, I bring this up because Europe is in a heat wave now, and this time next year we'll be talking about how many people died. In Vancouver, two protesters were arrested Wednesday morning at a rally about the impact that the Kinder Morgan pipeline expansion might have on the survival of the southern resident killer whales off British Columbia's southwest coast. More about them later. The rally drew a crowd of 40. Ruth Campbell and Noah Edwards joined more than 210 people who've been arrested this year for blocking access to Kinder Morgan's marine terminal. How many was that again? 210 people have been arrested Mm. blocking Mm. that. Uh, southern resident killer whales are doomed for extinction if Kinder Morgan goes through, said Campbell, who, one of the women arrested. Somebody has to speak for these an- animals. Um, please keep going, activists. Yes, We're going to try more and yes. more here at The Earth Wants You to talk about the activism that is happening around the world to stop climate change and to, yeah, take humans out of the center of the story. Using artificial intelligence to analyze 22 billion data points from satellite tracking devices on fishing vessels, U.S. researchers have discovered that 97% of high seas fishing is controlled by wealthier nations, a finding that sheds light on the uneven distribution of increasingly scarce marine resources. Nothing new here. That has been the story of the oceans for hundreds of years. And why do you think Europe is deforested? Because they built those boats to go out there and control the oceans, and they have ever since. California's Death Valley just broke its own record for hottest month on Earth since record-keeping began. The desert region averaged 108 degrees last month, a half-degree increase from its record average in July 2017. The normal high temperature for Death Valley reaches 116 degrees, but last month, temps hit a high of at least 120 degrees on 21 consecutive days. Between July 24th and 27th, the temperature climbed to 127 degrees. Wow, that is really hot! Yikes! And finally, the final item final, of the day. Final, final. I'm glad to be back in New York City. How about you?
2: Thank you, Sabatree D.
0: News from the natural world. It just gets worse and you worse. Just people
2: made us all Wake up. very
0: depressed. No, don't be depressed. Listen, you know, be alive. Uh,
2: this here's a th- this is a pleasant item about the <laughs> about the uh, you were talking about the uh, the aphids and the
0: yeah the insectivorous birds and the arthropods. Yeah, go ahead. The uh, uh,
2: the feeling that they are that they are necessary. At the point that they are starting to be endangered in some way, that the balance of the birds and the insects is threatened, mm-hmm. then suddenly we have a consciousness of the, the ecological balance of, the, of that whole right. cycle. Sure. And, of course, we're sitting in that cycle. Mm-hmm. Now, is that always the way it will be? Is that, that's just a continuing thing. Well, we when it's ex- endangered, we throw light on it, and we study it, and it becomes something that more people know about. Well,
0: it. I mean, there are situations. For instance, we know that whales need krill, right? We, we talk about the need for whales. Mm-hmm.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: We talk about whales living without it affecting humans, right? It's an emotional thing, right? We want the whales to live. We want the whales to survive. We don't want the whales to be extinct. But that's not because we need the whales, right in the same way that what this scientific report is saying like hey guys we got to take care of the birds because they take care of the insects who take care of the crops and that makes us eat and we you're right that we do see the the um the cycle the circularity the balance of the ecosystems there but i do think w- we have to take ourselves out of that story we have to care about the birds for their own sake <laughs> not just well, what, because what our crops that? are threatened
2: what do you call that what do you call that when the emotions of the earth, quite independent of this chief predator's, predator's opinion, but the, the emotions of the earth? Well, even have their own. And I mean, power. some people
0: would say that you were ascribing human qualities to the. You're anthropomorphizing the whole earth to say the earth has emotions. Even to
2: use the word emotion. I
0: mean, it's just at this point we have to be. Just so much more intelligent than that. To just ascribe our own experience to the Earth, we have to. We have to know and trust that there's some intelligence there that we can't imagine or know. And just stop trying to describe it in our own terms, because that diminishes it. Actually. So we have.
2: We have to. We have to find uh, a post enlightenment version of the Earth cultures who. F- have that natural way to 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 know to share with their children to sing songs to know that that intelligence that power that spirit is there
0: i think from a storytelling perspective you're probably right from a you know an activist environmentalist standpoint i don't like the word environmentalist from the earth loving tree hugger that i am i kind of just say Leave it alone. Just leave it alone. I think it's. Uh, we haven't been, time been able to do that music. yet. We haven't been able to do that. Listen yet. to this. Listen to this song. This is a. This is a song about the earth by the Stop Shopping Choir. When
6: we're wondering what to do, a
0: I'm really happy to introduce Rick Anderson. He lives in Venus, Florida. He was the fire chief in Everglades National Park, and now he teaches fire management, which sounds a lot drier than what he does, to communities and uh, governments even all over the world. Um, He's also a dear old friend of mine, and uh, it's my pleasure to welcome. Rick Anderson, to the show. One of the things you and I have talked about in the past is the changing relationship to fire. And what you study a lot is the, human, is the human relationship to fire, right? Like how over time, you know, our view of fire and the way we engage with it has changed. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about that changing um, relationship?
5: Well, first, you know, humans are a fire species. If we think about our earliest origins, uh, especially, I mean, uh, all, all uh, indications are is that we grew up on the savannas of Africa. And savannas are inherently a fireplace. And if you think about our opposable thumbs, our upright posture, and the fact that we live socially and one of the things that got us out of the savannah and organized groups was our ability to cooperate. And if you're using fire, as humans have for millennia, uh, probably as long as there's been Homo sapiens on this planet, uh, you have to cooperate when you use fire, whether you're burning to encourage wildlife or hunt or clear land. So, the combination of, of both the social dimensions and the necessity of using fire uh, probably brought us together in humans. And it was a technology that no other species got their hands on. We're one of the few species on the planet who have captured this ecological process with fire and then brought it to a high art. And now, of course, it's abstraction and in the form of light bulb combustion under hoods, or little uh, electronic instruments. All of that is a form of combustion. But once we got divorced from our, the use of fire, or I should say once we got separated, it was probably part of the same kind of separation from nature and that we experience in modern cultures, post right. Postmodern world that we live in now.
6: Well,
2: we've got to overcome that separation. We, uh, the 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 moment of the drama of the Earth's crisis is such that the that separation is uh, got to be collapsed. We've got to be. We got people have got to know their direct relationship to nature. Uh, you have any idea on how? Uh, we have we have fires happening everywhere around the world right now we're talking to a, uh, a fire chief a fire professional at the moment that uh, there's just fires everywhere um, what can that, what can we that, do what can, what can we do
5: well first off this is it's so much uh, the story of all of our personal relationships with nature uh, first off I would say that understanding that Uh, most everything that we fear in nature is also our friend, too, and in this case, fire. So uh, what can we do? What can an average uh, individual do? Uh, We have solutions, Uh, and one of those solutions, at least speaking specifically with fire, is that we have the skilled professionals on the landscape uh, right now who can use fire who can use fire in a responsible way, not on the driest, windiest days like what's happening in California and many of the western states right now where we've, uh, we've, we've taken fire out of the hands of people and we put it into the hands of technocrats and professionals. And by doing, moving the fire to the hands of the, the, like the U.S. Forest Service and professional firefighting units, Ordinary people do not understand that they can also start mitigating, if you will, uh, the impacts of fire uh, around their homes. For example, in Southern California, all it would take is a little bit of modest clearing and landscaping around your home to remove the combustible vegetation, Mm,
4: mm.
5: and you wouldn't put firefighters at risk. Uh, We could advocate to the U.S. Forest Service and any firefighter agency To do their control burning and their prescribed burning at times of the year when they can have their crews available, ready, and to control these fires because all fires are not the same. Fires this time of year under these extreme conditions are uncontrollable, and we're spending uh, many millions of dollars per day in just aviation costs, and just like a feudal war on drugs or you name it, we're not doing a very good job once we start amplifying the war effort on fire mm-hmm. and where we can take more of guerrilla tactics, if you will, or more homeopathic tactics by burning the forest, because almost all forests in North America are adapted to some kind of fire, but they're not adapted to these extreme fire events that both climate change, long-term drought. And the whole legacy of putting out fires for many, many, many decades has left us in a situation where all the dry brush and all the dry vegetation that used to be burned off by Native Americans and our pioneer ancestors to reduce their fuel loads. We literally loved our forests to death by suppression fire, mm. uh-huh. believing from a European forestry point of view that uh, a scorch on a tree was a bad thing. Uh, forgetting that most ecosystems in the United States and most of on the planet are adapted to some forms of fire, whether we're in the Mediterranean uh, zone around Greece where there's tragic and horrible fires happen, or we're in the Everglades of South Florida where it's swampy but yet it still burns, or Central America. I mean, you can map the planet uh, with fire. And there's many, many benefits to using fire. Much of our biodiversity is encouraged by fire because mm-hmm. here's what ancient people knew, is they knew the wet season fire uh, is inefficient. So when you burn that, and for all of us who have seen a campfire the next morning or an old barbecue grill, all that black stuff laying there at the bottom is carbon. And that carbon goes into the earth and fertilize plants and animals. That's what the so-called slash-and-burn agriculture is with the the indigenous populations burning small plots to put their farms on top of. It was the original natural organic fertilizer Mm -hmm. with the ash and fire. The fires that we're having now on the planet are so intense and volatile that it's driving that carbon up into the Mm -hmm. atmosphere. And for all of us who knows what happens with carbon in the atmosphere... Uh, then we're starting to, to hit tipping points uh, with our air quality and our our our, our climate change carbon load.
0: So you mentioned the war on drugs, and I just wonder if you could address um, this this militarized response to fires and the militarized uh, relationship to nature that we have, especially our big uh, federal and state agencies. How does that look to you from where you stand, having experienced it on the inside and now with your amazing work, uh, working with communities um, using these old um, techniques? What about the military?
5: Well, it's I call it a militarization because After each war event, for example, after World War II, we got excess equipment, airplanes. What do we do with this? Uh, Well, Let's put firefighters in it, jump out of airplanes in the middle of nowhere. Those are called smoke jumpers. Uh, They're part of the American mythology like a cowboy is. (laughs) And these heroic smoke jumpers jump out of airplanes and go put out a smoldering snag 60 miles away from Missoula, Montana and the remote northern Rockies. They actually kind of added to the problem if you, because putting out those little benign fires out in the middle of nowhere that would have consumed the fuels and stimulated the ecosystem, now we're suppressed. So, and then of course, after the Vietnam War, we got a lot of helicopters. Let's put firefighters in them and let's put a little bucket on those things to start dousing fires. And of course, now we're in a constantly militarized state. Not only do we have, um, increasing equipment pouring into the firefighting service and increasing specialized equipment. But yet, you know, a lot of our new firefighters come from uh, a military background. Uh, And uh. there's nothing inherently wrong with that because they're organized, they run towards problems instead of away from them. But if the model is to continue to fight fire instead of live homeopathically or naturally with fire, uh-huh. um, then we, then most of the suppression costs right now, right now American taxpayers are paying millions and millions of dollars in aviation costs uh, to, and it looks good on the news network. You know, we're putting these big air tankers with the bubble gum colored stuff coming out. What What
2: them. is that stuff, Rick? What is that stuff that we see coming out of the airplanes?
5: It's a Monsanto product. Ah! Uh,
2: <laughs> Monsanto is the devil! <laughs> God,
5: or maybe DuPont. Uh, so somebody, you know, in that, that chemical group. But if you think about it, if the fire conditions are so bad, that the winds are blowing and the slopes are steep and the fire's really just uh, burning in incredibly dry conditions, And you're going to bring in a load of, you know, uh, several hundred or uh, up to a 1,000 gallons or more with a super tanker now, like a 747-sized airplane, and dump that on the fire. How could it possibly be effective?
0: Mm, It's not. Because
5: it's dry and windy. Uh, You know, and but it it looks good on the news. It looks good to the homeowner. It's like the government is doing something. I know it's so funny to
0: me. I always imagine like someone putting hairspray on in the wind. I'm like, that doesn't work. The hairspray just blows off. It doesn't go on your hair. You can't like fix your bangs in the wind. Why are they doing that?
5: You're absolutely right on. But it looks good, and but it's ultimately effective in effect. And then it's phosphate based. It's ending up in streams and watersheds. Uh-huh. Um, the stuff is getting a little more benign, but for example, in the Everglades, because we were such a large wetland, we would not use it, even though that sometimes we'd have fires threatening Miami. We found that controlled burning during the time of year when things were, uh, the winds weren't crazy, the ground wasn't dry, all of that did more reducing fuels and stimulating the ecosystem than all of the suppression activities which can be almost destructive as destructive as the fire itself but rick isn't
0: that is this a leadership issue i mean is that is that what happened in the everglades because you were there with the knowledge you had and the skill sets you have and your history in that area and the knowledge you carried from your family and the oranges that you grew and I mean, how much of this is a leadership issue? Is it possible, you think, that on a large scale we could make these changes in our fire management?
5: Well, we've had, well, to answer your question is, yes, it's a leadership issue, but also it's a social issue more than anything. If the public told the Forest Service, just stop it. It's not the best use of our money, uh, our Cal Fire or whatever, but You know, right now, if you look at the messages coming out of all of these things, is this fear, fear, fear. And, you know, it's fear spreads like wildfire. We see that in every dimension of our society and culture now. Uh, And then when the fires go away, it's no longer a news item. It's no longer a threat to your home behind, you know, uh, on the slope behind your house. You can go worry about other things because there's going to be a crisis for the day. But so I see it as more social. The good thing that we got going on here in Florida, which is a very populous state, is that we burn about 3 million acres a year in Florida, both on private and federal and state lands, to keep this problem down. And if we didn't do it, Florida would be like California. You would mm. see it only because you know that this is a very flammable state. It goes from swampy wet to the sparkling dry season, which is the wintertime when all the tourists like to be here. But Florida burning, think about Florida, burning 3 million acres a year, and it's a cultural thing here. It's a cultural legacy, and it's a necessity. But also it keeps us from hemorrhaging taxpayers' money on useless uh, suppression attempts, and it keeps our environment stimulated. Our endangered species thrive on prescribed fire programs down here. So I think I was fortunate to be able to, to to grow up in a culture that did not have an unbroken relationship, with, that that had an unbroken relationship with fire, and whose Smokey Bear had little impact, right. mostly because Smokey was wearing a federal uniform, right. and as you know, there's little pockets of resistance of in the South. So,
2: well, we would like you to suppress, uh, do some controlled, uh, mitigating uh, fire. Uh, in the area of the Disney company and Epcot <laughs> I want to burn ask you, down the Epcot company <laughs> I <laughs> want
0: to turn now to the work you're doing in uh, Central and South America um, with indigenous communities and um, farming communities in those places can you tell us a little bit about those projects
5: right and one of the things I saw in the United States is this is not sustainable what we're doing no one can afford 30 million dollars a day to to put out fires, and also these cultures I'm working in with Central America and South America are fire-using culture, like we discussed before. They use it for land clearing, all the things that humans have traditionally used for. But as the climate starts to change uh, and it's detectable in many of these locations, and also populations increase, cultures start to shift around, the free use of fire on la- uh, large landscapes in these areas Uh, Is becoming more difficult. So what we're doing is we're creating these community fire management organizations where communities can gain control of when they burn uh, and when they don't burn. And if they need to fight fire, they have uh, a source of of leadership and young people who can fight these fires. Often, like, for example, in Belize, the, the men are off working on bananas, the banana farm, and the pineapple farm during the day so it's the women and the children and the young men that are at home well what we've done is we've trained those groups of people because they're going to be the ones that are on the worst day when it's dry and windy and the fire gets away and it's threatening their fat tracks in the village so what we've done is we've organized groups to not only fight fire but also start apportioning their landscape of how they would burn it for various reasons whether it's for wildlife are the production of berries or the clear land for crops but we're starting to see some changes because the environment's changing right. uh, the time of year that the Maya normally plant is a little drier than it has been for the next the previous few thousand years um, in <laughs> no. Costa Rica crops are having to move up the slope a little bit uh, into more flammable zones and, wow. uh, there's a whole matrix of kind of issues some of the folks I work in brazil would wait till a certain bird migrated into the territory which was a sign that it was time to start burning well the bird arrives a little later nowadays uh, because of what's going on on the other side of the planet where the bird lives so there's a, a number of little signatures like this so what we're helping communities do is keep their cultural practices keep the thing in this case fire that keeps food in their mouth and keeps culture in the villages stable uh at the same time protecting them and preparing them for the future because we have a an an uncertain future as everyone knows and it's a no analog feature so we don't know how all of this is going to turn out so to keep the villages resilient and sustainable and one way to do that is through that captured ecological process of fire
2: well rick anderson wow you're uh the way you talk, uh, the 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 honoring and uh, readjusting, but basically keeping uh, keeping the faith of your native culture uh, in this time of change. I think that. Uh, we may have just given our listeners some hope that they yes. didn't have before. Really, um, I
0: agree. Thank you so much, Rick, for your for your uh, your teaching today and also for the work you do. Um, it's so helpful to hear this from someone who knows so much and so deeply uh, on this subject.
5: Thank you for being with well, us today, the, Rick. Well, that's the beauty of fire. It's both humbling. And we don't have all the answers. And to lose this powerful ecological process to technology and, if you will, war on, uh, casualty of the war on nature would make us less human.
0: Oh, that's great. Thanks a lot, Rick. Thank you so much. Have a great day.
2: Wow.
0: Rick always teaches me so much. You know I've known him 30 years, and we lived together in Montana, and uh, even then, he was just—he knew everything about the forest.
3: There's
2: no division between uh, Rick's, um, you know, government work, his uh, his traveling around and consulting, and his poetry. I know. You know, there's no. Uh, well, he's
0: a real southerner that way, I have to say. Uh-huh. And his uh, his father was the same way. I met his father, Trooper Tom. And Trooper Tom was famous for his aphorisms. He he once told me, "Well, you can't expect to soar with the eagles if you're up all night hooting with the owls," <laughs> <laughs> which is true.
2: That's a lesson that I can thank learn. Thank you, Trooper Tom. Trooper Tom, thank you so the much. The
0: highway was named after him. It was Trooper Tom Highway. Well, anyway, thank you, Rick Anderson. We'll have you back. More from Rick Anderson soon, I hope. And right now, uh, let's turn to a beautiful song from Tim Buckley, "Song of the Siren."
3: Long afloat on shipless oceans, I did all my best to smile till your singing eyes and fingers. Drew me loving to your isle, and you sang, "Sail to me, sail to me, let me unfold you." Here I am, here I am. Waiting to hold you Did I dream you Dreamed about me Were you here when I was foxed Now my foolish boat is leaning Broken love, Lord, on your rocks For you sing Touch me not Touch me not, come back tomorrow Oh my heart Oh my heart shies from the sorrow.
0: Oh Tim Buckley, beautiful song of the siren. Oh and it brings us to this next segment which um, we wanted to spend some time talking about J thirty five. The orca whale southern resident killer whale of the Salish Sea who many of you will have n- heard by now uh, has been carrying her dead calf her stillborn daughter on her nose for more than ten days uh, Telequa known as J 35 gave birth to a baby girl on July 24th in the waters around Victoria the calf, the first born alive to the pod in three years, died shortly thereafter. J thirty-five has carried I'm sorry. She carried her dead calf at least two hundred and fifty miles since its death, based on estimates from Sound Watch observation. You can you can watch the map of her swimming at um cdocsociety.com. That's S E A D O C Society.com. Uh, this is a display of epimoletic behavior, which is when a healthy animal cares for an injured, ill, or dead individual. Um, it only happens that we know of in long-lived, highly social, cohesive animals like primates and several species of toothed whales, Rissos dolphins, Indo-Pacific bottlenose dolphins, spinner dolphins, short-finned pilot whales, sperm whales, and Australian humpback dolphins. Um, but the strength it takes for a killer whale to bear the weight of even a lifeless baby for a short time, while battling currents and waves, and having to continually surface to breathe, is amazing. J thirty five has been doing 90. it for um, nine days and two hundred fifty miles. Ten days now, two, more than two hundred fifty miles. Um. So yes, that we're on the tenth day now, and uh, they have passed the child around in the pod, um, but I think what's remarkable and what should be noted here is that how threatened those animals are. Um, the number of southern resident killer whales has fallen to an all-time low of 75 whales in three different pods. They've been recognized as endangered since 2001. Uh, the greatest threats to the southern resident killer whales orcas are the reduction in prey, contaminants, acoustic and physical disturbances, and exposures to toxic spills. Uh, Their population is built on a matrilineal system. These strong hierarchical groups of individuals are connected by maternal descent. Each matriline consists of a female, her sons and daughters, and the offspring of her daughters. I just can't. It's there.
2: All right. Averaging anywhere from 1 to 17 individuals and 1 to 5 generations within each of these matrilines. Matrilines. Pods are groups of matrilines that share a maternal ancestor in which the southern residents consist of three pods. The number of individual changes, the number of individuals changes due to the births and the deaths.
0: So uh, this stillborn calf was the first calf born alive in three years. And here are the sounds of that pod. Hope
2: the mother who feels that the life of, of, of her daughter is, is suddenly over and cannot believe it. And then also when you, when you, when you read to us uh, the matrilinear nature of uh, life, how the knowledge of the family surviving, uh, carried especially through the the, the matrilineal uh, line. Um, then you also have the knowledge, the emotion of the ending of your family. The ending of life as you know it.
0: Right, and um, it's, you know, this pod is having a hard time and it doesn't look great for them. It doesn't look great.
2: Their salmon they know that they their their dependence on the chinook salmon has has um, uh it's a narrow arrangement with a with a once plentiful uh but it's a single species so when um when the chinook became less and less uh, uh numerous and available the the population of the southern resident uh, orca whales uh, reduced in a direct relationship with that
0: reduction. Right, and just to remember, that's a 400-pound baby. It's not like a little human newborn. It's a Mm 400-pound creature. And you know whales can't swim when they're born, and they they float on their mother's backs until they swim off, which is such a beautiful... um, It's so elegant, you know, and uh, also to know that when a a whale dies, the whale's body falls into the deep part of the sea, and then a huge micro uh, ecosystem is born from the decaying body of that whale, and it supports life for decades, so uh, I hope this pod can let go and just... They have to. F- they have to fight for their own survival. There's a,
1: a few comments under the uh, the article on CBC. I think it's called, and it's people are so affected by it. But yeah, some of the stuff they're saying is, we can't help this mother in her grief. But what can we do to help the current whale populations and future generations of J K and L pods? Um, what kind of world will this be without whales? What kind of world will this be without whales? Someone wrote, "It's a protest. Orcas are trying to tell us this is your fault."
2: Well, that may be true, but it's also—I'm suspicious of the sho- once again the human chauvinism. Right. Oh, it's about me. No, it's not about us. We simply have to stop stop the toxins. We have to open the rivers, bring the salmon back. Uh, we have to wild. We have to rewild our environments so that these ecosystems survive there's still um, even with all the fires even with all the extinction there's still this attitude that we default to you know it's kind of we don't even think about it we just go to it Uh, which is that we will all try to keep enough nature around no and it's time for Trump, the Trump Depression Hotline.
0: Uh, from so, Ray in Fort Lee. Dear Rev, sometimes I wake up and I feel like the whole ship is sinking. Then I get the music, drink some coffee, light one up and things are okay. But I can't shake the feeling for long. Later, I'll be walking along and see on some barroom TV people trapped in a flood or something and I get the blues.
2: Ray, you are not alone. I can't remember the last time when so many of us were so haunted. One thing is clear. The force of normal living in a consumer society is much stronger than anybody expected. The fierceness we put into another day. We march to the train, walk down the street, ride up and down the elevator, and every couple of hours we do a big double take at how completely inappropriate it all is. We're just inches away from the horror We'll be staring into a fire or flood on a screen somewhere. And then, and then normalcy catches us, sneaks up behind and engulfs us. The ads, the headphones, the sirens, the bad-smelling gas uh, closes over us and takes us back. We're not allowed to experience this thing that looks a lot like the end of the world. But Ray, haven't you ever had something happen that cuts through it all? I think it's happening now. I'm talking about those images of children in the cages along the Texas border. Those eyes staring through the spaces between the metal have circled the world like the hoses and dogs in Birmingham in 1958. The shocked love in their eyes comes through the bars and beams into us like an ancient language. Suddenly our deadly normal life is powerless We feel like there's something we must do. We know that. We're absolutely sure of it. We start walking faster.
0: Okay, and from Molly. Another letter. Clinton Hill. Hi, Billy. I saw an event listing on Facebook for an immigrant rights rally at Federal Plaza the other day. Demonstrators were asked to bring one item that they would pack in their suitcase if they were being deported. I couldn't make the rally. I had to work. But it got me thinking about priorities. I own so much junk. I saw online you were at the protest. How did you decide what to bring?
2: Molly, I packed the wing of an owl for my partner Savitri, and poems by Renee Shar. The force of this movement is that it reminds us all of love. Emma Goldman said, love is the molder of destiny. Love is stronger than laws. What are the small sacred objects you give your loved ones at the point that she or he is taken from you? One of the things in that suitcase is revolution. Right on.
0: Thanks, Rev. Well, these,
2: these, uh, these are letters that came from you. In this case, Ray from Fort Lee. And Molly from where? Clinton, Clinton Hill. Hill. And these are published monthly in our alternative uh, progressive newspaper here in New York City, The Independent. That's Indie with a Y. I thought you were going to
0: say, in our alternative reality. And I was like, cool. Let's hang there. <laughs> in our
2: parallel worlds, <laughs> our, out here where the fire is always, you know, kind of just warming us not burning us down
1: what if I was uh, listening to this right now uh, and I'm somewhere off in southern California but I'd love to send in my letter I have a little thing on my mind how do I do that
2: please send your letter to the church of stop shopping post office box 1556 canal street station that make it might take a, a bit of a while with well, the snail mail.
1: We is can try a, um, a digital r-
0: RevBilly at RevBilly.com. RevBilly at RevBilly.com. We want to hear from you, listeners.
2: But isn't that kind of romantic to send it to a, like a snail mail to a real post office? Yeah. Canal Street Station, New York, New York, 10013. Don't For those forget of to you put a stamp who, on it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Well today, meditating on fire, meditating on our sister species, the orca whales. I'm talking about fire with Salvatry's friend Rick Anderson. Down there in the Everglades in Florida. And then listening to the, the pod. Um, the whales talking to each other during the time the recording takes place. was was recorded during the time that the subject must have been the carrying of that, of that child whale. by the distraught mother. Well, we are learning, aren't we, to face the, the um, tragedy of this time of climate chaos, of this time of, of ecosystem collapse, of this time of extinction. And the idea of, our, of our, our show, The Earth Wants You, is to bring, we say it again and again, bring humor and music to the environmental movement, <laughs> which needs it, but um, here we are. Um, the fires around the world, especially in Greece and in California, um, taking lives. Uh, destroying families, um, their homes, um, the the feeling of loss. Um, there isn't a there isn't a joke there. It goes to the music. It goes to our prayers. It comes into our relationships with each other. We know that increasingly there is no safety. And Dr. Hansen recently said that there isn't an adjustment that we can make in our shopping patterns. There isn't, there isn't a, a way that we can uh, really change what's happening. The, his, in his opinion, the earth is on its track which may very well not involve the human species, certainly will change radically our idea of civilization. He's looking to some kind of he's looking to the kind of technological solution that only crazy people thought about for decades. It hasn't happened yet, and it may not. We may be set on a course that is tragic. But the Earth the Earth is making its decision. Her decision now let's Live with this. Live our lives as best we can. Let's continue to do what we can for the life around us. Amen.